Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hey everyone, you've got Dan Bentley here and Tracy Newman from Impacto Consulting. And today what we're going to talk to you about is how can you become more of an innovator in the social sector? You know, there's lots of different ways you can approach this, but what we want to do is share a little bit about our story with you so that you sort of understand how we've sort of come to this place. But also then after that, give you some tips from what we've seen around what really works to get you to become more innovative. Looking forward to taking you through it. Yeah, Trace, do you want to kick us off? How did you get into this space? How did you end up becoming a part of Impacto Consulting and, and doing this for a job? Ah, thanks for asking, Dan. How I became part of this is actually through a stint of working many different jobs, some of which when I was a child I would have told you there was absolutely no way that I would ever be involved in that or doing that. That sort of led me on this varied path of making different decisions that landed me to here. Probably the most significant ones in that was actually when my daughter was two years old and I got a job working in a call centre of an insurance company, which is one of those jobs that I would have told you I would never do because, you know, it all sounded very technical, it all sounded very corporate and it all sounded very not really me. But when I was working there, after a few conversations with different leaders and people over the years, they were talking about how insurance is the ultimate community product and it can only ever be successful if it's part of a successful community. And that started to pivot my thinking around what does make the community successful? What does a successful community look like? And how do you become part of a successful community? And how do you, you know, I guess make that difference that you're out to make in the world? So that's sort of where my, my brain started going. But in terms of what that actually looks like and in reality, I started doing things like I volunteered with The Big Issue. I did some volunteer work for the Cancer Council. And then, you know, through sort of following some of those different volunteer opportunities, I got to see more and more about these different sectors and how they were working and began to sort of start to see how the skills that I had would be applicable in this sector. So that's what started my thinking to change towards how we could be more impactful. Yeah, that's really cool. So what other skills did you pick up along the way when you were in these large organisations that have then been able to be transferable across to what you do now? Well, I guess the first person who really made a big difference in terms of my skills was Lisa Carroll. She was the very first person who started to talk to me about the client experience. And that was just something that, you know, I cared about people, but I'd never really understood the difference between caring about people and actually beginning to look at something from the client's perspective. Up until then, I was just kind of following the rules and and just telling clients what they needed to do to be able to fit in with my rules. And Lisa just used to look at me and say, yeah, but why, why do we have that role? What's that role for? How does that role help people? And that really started to shape my thinking around, well, maybe we could actually look at this differently and maybe we could get rid of the dumb rules. <laughs> And that sort of crusader around getting rid of dumb rules and changing services so that they actually work for your clients was a massive mindset shift and a real capability build for me too. You know, what I learned in trying to, you know, make those changes was so many skills around influencing, but also around consultation, actually talking to your clients, listening to them, 
wow, that's amazing, and finding out what's important to them. And then it was through there that I came across human-centred design, which really was interesting because when I was very first exposed to it, I was reading articles and I'm thinking, yeah, but that's what we already do. And then when I actually understood what it really meant and what actually listening to people looks like versus thinking you're really listening to people, that was when that real shift came about, which, you know, obviously then led to learning more about co-design and all of those other skills that I've picked up since then. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember quite similar myself when I was sort of first getting into this space and thinking, yeah, but, you know, how hard is this to do? Like, doesn't everything happen this way where we sort of co-design and human-centered design, but it's not until you really get into it and realize, oh, no, you've got to take that whole part out at the start, which is a bunch of you sitting around in a room thinking this is what people need and we know what they need and then going out and just building it and then taking feedback. And I think that's what a lot of organizations and people do. It's been very much the traditional way that people work. Whereas I think, you know, the difference for me when I understood that stuff a bit better was it actually starts with going out and speaking to the people and understanding and bringing them in and and, and really having that discussion around collaboration. I think that was the really big change for me too. So that's cool. So Dan, I kind of know about our story from the point where we were both working together, but what about before that? What does that look like for you? I've always been a creative person and I've always uh, sort of gravitated towards that and problem solving and Yeah, I was kind of similar. I started my background in corporates and always very much drawn to client and customer experience type roles and that sort of thing. And I think I got a particular role that I was doing and it was kind of my dream role. And I was sort of looking after the strategy and I had a a team of sort of innovators and that was kind of my role within this part of this organization. And I just didn't really feel fulfilled. And I was on a board for a not-for-profit and I was sort of doing things outside of my day job that were trying to fill that need to sort of have more social justice and contribute into the sector. I liked what I did on a day-to-day basis, but I just didn't feel fulfilled. And so for me, I was sort of thinking, well, maybe I need to do something different where I'm actually doing that on my day-to-day basis. Because for me, I kind of realized my whole career through the corporates, whether it would be working in call centers, working in the role that I was in, there was actually a thread that went through all of that and that was around this justice and it was about increasing equality and making sure that things are fair and all those sorts of things. And it was only recently when I realized that this was a thread, but every time when I was in these customer experience type roles, it was always about fighting for the customer and making sure they're being treated well by the corporate and making sure that if there was complaints that we were dealing with them. And then if I looked at in my leadership type positions, it was always about how do I make the employee experience better for the people who work with me? And even if they don't work for me, people that just that worked at this organization. So when I started understanding that, I sort of realized, well, that's why, because I'm only iterating and just doing a little bit of work around the justice and all that. It was just a very small part of my job. I sort of felt like I could do a, have a bigger impact if I was to do something else and actually work in the space full time and work with organizations that are actually helping people that need that assistance. It's not just about their employment or their being a customer of an organization. So yeah, for me as well, I started off involved in strategy and those sorts of things from my early sort of leadership days. But again, it was similar to when I was at the same organization where I met you when we got the opportunity to be involved in some human-centered design training, that that's when that really sort of took off for me. And I sort of really started to change my mindset, similar to what you were saying before, around this is how you really do things. This is how you really innovate. 
I always saw myself as an ideas person. So it was a little bit hard for me to let go, to be honest, when I first got in, because I was like, but I'm the ideas guy. I come up with the ideas and it was a very different way of working. But again, that other part of me, which was very much around wanting things to work and wanting to achieve the outcomes, that actually fitted quite well with that human-centered design and that co-design type methodology, because I was really easy, able to go, okay, but it's for the better good. It's not all about me. So I was able to learn that, start implementing that into my work. And then, yeah, I guess learn other tools that supported that over the years. One of the interesting differences between you and I is I never really thought of myself as being particularly creative. You know, I like to sort of do creative stuff, like I like to cook and I do things like drawing and I do things a lot when my children were younger, you know, make Play-Doh and all sorts of things, but I never really considered myself as a creative person. Whereas since working with human-centred design, I realised that it's, a whole heap of learned skill. It's not just (laughs) you're born creative or you're not. So it's interesting that you came into it, you know, being creative. I came into it not thinking I was creative, but we've both come to a similar point. Yeah, I think that's the good thing about it, isn't it? And I I think that was something that was really eye-opening for me in those early stages too, understanding that you didn't have to be an ideas person to contribute either. You know, you could have somebody else in that room, maybe like yourself, who doesn't see themselves as an innovator at that point, learn this process and be able to repeat it across multiple different types of projects and solve multiple different types of problems all with these similar processes. And I think that's the real power in the methodology and and learning it. It's really easy to move it across and, and solve multiple problems, which is really cool. So then fast forward a little bit. So the two of us have had these backgrounds and understood you know, these methodologies and uh, we've been working at the same place. We work together very closely under the same person, Lisa, that you mentioned earlier, but then you went off to a, the customer experience department and I got this job that I was talking about earlier in the strategy and the innovation space. And then I was sort of feeling a bit disenfranchised about working there and I sort of thought, oh, you know, I had a bit of a quarter life crisis. And I sort of thought to myself, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go traveling for a couple of years. And for me, when I was traveling and I went across to India and I spent nine months in South America and a bit of the Middle East and I was in Palestine and Israel and a number of different places. And I just continued to see these injustices and I continued to see these inequalities and lack of fairness in the world. And for me, that's when I realized what I spoke about earlier, which was that's what I really care about. And when I got to Sweden, I was living there for a few months with my partner at the time. She was from there. I think I had three weeks before I had to come back. And I'd been doing some volunteering at Sweden's largest animal rights organization. And they had me doing a whole heap of different projects. And it was similar to what we kind of do now. And when I was there, I just sort of thought, well, this would be a cool job. And I was online. I'm looking for jobs thinking I just need something because I've been traveling for two years and I I'm running out of money and there was no jobs available that did that. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just start something. And that's when I came up with the idea of what is now Impacto Consulting. But then I got this message from this ex-colleague of mine, Tracy, saying, how's Sweden going? I just got made redundant. So maybe you might want to tell your side of that story to there because that's when it kind of all started. Sure. Yeah. And it's interesting because now when we talk about this, our our memories of that are slightly different because, yeah, I I do recall you then sort of saying to me, well, hey, you know, I'm going to start up this thing. You should join me. And I remember actually without even really thinking about it saying, yeah, that sounds great. And you going, oh, hang on, let me think about that. (laughs) I'm doing this thing. You should join me more or less fell out of your mouth without you really thinking about whether or not you wanted to work with somebody or whether you wanted to do that on your own and then you kind of went hell yeah that that sounds great you know I think we you know we know that 
we work together really well. Not everyone that you would want to start a, a venture with, you want to make sure that you've got those aligned values and aligned skills and, and also differences that you bring to, you know, what it is that you're creating. So at that point, you kind of said, we should do it. And I was like, yeah, let's go. I was still working at this organisation and I had booked myself a, a nice long holiday from when I finished up. So you came back to Australia and I left Australia and went to Italy for three weeks. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's cool. And you were in a similar space though, I think, where you were sort of starting to get a bit over the day-to-day and you were starting to look at some of the organisations that are sort of, you know, work in the same space as what we do now. And you were thinking, geez, how good would it be to, to work for them? And it was kind of just amazing timing, I think, that I'd also had this realisation, you'd had this realisation and we're able to sort of bring that together and create what is now Impacto Consulting, which is now three years old at the moment as of where are we now, like end of June 2021. So interestingly, probably six months before I was was made redundant, I went through and I did an exercise setting goals for the new year. And it was actually a guided exercise that one of my friends took us through. And it was basically, you know, you kind of imagine that you've won all this money and you never need to work again. And then, you know, six months later, what are you doing? A year later, what are you doing? And basically, I'd got to the point of, if I didn't need to work, what I would choose to do is exactly what I do now. And so that was what really consolidated my thinking around, well, that's what I wanted to do. But how I pictured it at the time was, yes, working for an organisation that does this work, not necessarily creating an organisation that does this work. So that's even better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for us as well, you know, over that period, we've had to sort of sharpen our tools and understand more around how we can add value to the sector. I think coming in, we'd had a a fair bit of experience in the sector through our volunteering, but not to the level that we do now. And I think getting to understand our our customers being, you know, mainly not-for-profit, social enterprise and government departments, getting to understand them and their needs has been a you know really big part of what we've been doing for the last three years and always and I think this is something that we'll never stop doing but always constantly learning you know what are those best practice innovation type tools from around the world that are being used by social innovators to be able to solve these problems and how do we learn them but then also put them into practice so that we can then deliver the impact for the people that we work with our customers and a big part of what we do too has also been about teaching other people those tools as well so they can do that within their organizations so yeah, that's been really big. That's a bit about us. We just wanted to share that with you so you had an understanding of where we come from. But now it's about you. We want to give you a couple of tips from what we've learned over the last few years around how you can become more innovative in this space. So Trace, where do people start with this? If you're sitting there and you're a you know, CEO of a not-for-profit or a senior leader within a, an organisation, where do you get started? I think similar to the realisation that I had, I think actually the best place to start is with your mindset. Because it's a subtle but significant difference when you start looking at things from the perspective of the people that you care for or support versus looking at something from the perspective of your organisation. And whilst it sounds really easy to make that shift, I know I filter in and out of it regularly and it often requires that challenge to, okay, so, you know, but what does that look like from the client's perspective? What's the need that you're trying to fulfill here? What is it that your clients really need? How many clients have you spoken to, to to really establish that that's what we need to do next? And it's getting rid of that sort of piece of your mind also that sort of wants to be an expert and that part of you that sort of goes, well, hang on, how come how come I have to ask clients? Shouldn't I already know this? And you're sort of challenging yourself 
and also challenging some of those limiting beliefs that we sort of have from time to time as well. Yeah, look, I totally agree with that. Being a recovering ideas guy, I uh, can can totally relate to that. You know, I I guess I built my career on my ideas, right? So, yeah, that's how I worked my way up through those organizations was because I was seen of having having good ideas. So to all of a sudden say, I don't know the answers is a bit of a hit on the old ego, to be honest. Still working through that too. No, but I think that's the thing. I think you start to reframe that, don't you? And I think that's where it starts. You really can't get in and use any of these tools or make change unless you change your mindset first. It is a different way of working, but it's the way that I think everyone's going to be working like this way in the future because it does work, it does deliver results, and the world is changing. And clients, customers, consumers, whatever you want to call them, have a hell of a lot more power and way more informed than they were before. And like you look at something in Australia, we've got like the introduction of the NDIS, everything's moving towards the client and their needs. So to try and guess what they want is going to take you a hell of a lot more time, right? So you've got to change your mindset first and let go of the thing of what Tracy was talking about before. You don't know what they know, but they do. So you just got to be smart about it and get out there and actually talk to these people and bring them in and say, what is it that you guys actually need? What, what can we do as a service provider to help you achieve your goals? I know I saw recently you know, something saying the idea that you would know more about being homeless than someone who's actually homeless seems ridiculous. But how often is it that you have people designing services for people with no lived experience of what that person's actually encountering? And quite often it can be that you're actually working with people for 20 or 30 years, but there's just something so completely powerful from including them meaningfully in the conversation about what happens next that it provides a spark of magic really every single time. Every single time we do a project and we have people in the room, they bring something that I would never have expected them to bring and it always adds that touch of magic. Yes, sometimes it is a little bit of a challenge to sort of you know, be that recovering ideas guy, um, but absolutely worth it every single time. Yeah, I agree with that. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit Impacto Consulting dot com dot au slash self-assessment i talked about the ideas guys being like an ego thing the expert is also an ego thing for a lot of people you know they've been i've, I've been studying this for 30 years you know i know what i'm talking about okay yeah i've been and, and i've been promoted and i've been successful because i am an expert we're not saying as well that your opinion doesn't count. You're one of the stakeholders that will be involved in the projects and in innovation, but you're not the sole decision maker. I think that's the key differentiator. And I think that's what happened in the past a lot more was that these experts were the sole decision maker. And then people with lived experience or the clients or the people that you're trying to help were actually on the receiving end of your ideas. Whereas innovation now looks like involving those people in creating those ideas so that when you do actually deploy them, that those people go, wow, this fits really well, actually. This is solving my problem and I'm being able to achieve my goals. It is about that. So, yeah, I guess what if we were to say to people that are listening, I guess, what would we say is the way to change your mindset? Like, how do you change your mindset? That's a really great question. You know, it's one thing to you to say, hey, change your mindset. <laughs> 
but then it's another thing to actually change your mindset. Yeah, it's taken me years. And I think you've got to be gentle with yourself and realise that it is a work in progress. But one of the other things that I find really does help with changing the mindset is actually learning the techniques of innovation. So when you build up that capability and when you're more comfortable and you've got a framework, that can also help with helping you to know how to change your mindset. It's like when we talk about system thinking and we say to people, think at a system level, like, okay, sure, but how do you actually think at a system level? Well, one of the ways that helps you to do that is create a system map because when you can visualise what the system looks like, when you can see what it all looks like and how it's all interrelated, well, then that helps you to think at a systemic level because you can see those connections. Yeah, and I think as well, like it starts with being comfortable to actually challenge your ego, I think as well. I think that was a big thing for me was to go, you know what, you need to let go of this. I think that was a decision. It was a piece of responsibility that I needed to take as an individual. So I think for some people out there, it doesn't mean your employer is going to go, hang on a minute, we employed an expert on this amount of money per year. What are you doing bringing people in? Like if you frame that right, they're just going to think, wow, this expert is such an expert. They're even bringing people in now as well to help us understand and get even more information. That's amazing. So I think it starts there with that, making that decision. Totally agree as well. Once you get some of the tools as well, you can then know how to do it. But I think as well, you don't have to know the whole methodology too. It does help, but you don't need to just to be able to start thinking about it from the perspective of your clients or thinking about it from the perspective of people that you're trying to help. That can even just be a starting point and challenging other people within your organization. You might be in a meeting and people are going, oh, we should do this and we should do that and we should do this. And you could just be that person that goes, yeah, okay, but let's think about our client is this type of a person. How are they going to receive that? What are the needs of the, our clients that we're actually trying to fulfill here and, and help them with? You know, What are we actually trying to do? Is it just because we think this is a good idea or is this actually going to help? So I think even some of those conversations early days can also just get the ball rolling and start that conversation and that move towards this way of thinking. I think you're right. It's even as subtle as the shift from instead of providing answers or looking to provide answers, actually think about well, what are the right questions that we need to ask here? You know, what you bring to the conversation is now a really cool set of questions versus bringing in the answer. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Cool. But you started talking a little bit about methodologies and giving yourself the tools. Let's go a bit more into that. So what you're sort of saying is that if you sort of understand a lot more of these like tools like co-design, human-centered design, systems thinking, then that'll actually help you to be able to be more innovative and change your mindset because it's going to actually give you some how to get started, not just, uh, okay, I'm on board, what do I do next? What are some of these types of tools that you know we recommend, I guess? I guess the first one, and you know, we've talked about it a bit already, is co-design. You know, it's, it's a great framework for enabling you to involve your clients or people with lived experience or the people that you support in projects, but also it then helps you to start embedding that perspective and that way of working into everyday decisions. So I think co-design is a really cool framework and a really good place to start. And maybe even if you're talking about a place to start, a better place even from that is actually just to get really familiar with, you know, problem framing. What exactly is the problem that you're looking to solve? So often we're so quick to try and find a solution that we don't always solve the right problem. And, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you drive down the wrong road. If it's the wrong road, (laughs) you're not going to get where you're looking to go. Let's think about, well, 
what exactly is the problem that we're looking to solve and what exactly does that look like? How is it experienced by people? Make sure that we're actually solving the root cause, not the symptoms. All of those things are are a really powerful sort of place to start and a really good set of techniques that you can get a lot out of. Yeah, that's really good. And you started talking a bit about systems thinking before too. So what that is for people that might not have been exposed to it is nothing is really linear in this world, right? Everything is part of a system. The analogy that we love to use is, you know, cane toads, right? So a long time ago in Australia, what was it? It was like a bug or something that was eating the cane? Is that what it was? was a beetle, yeah. cane toad beetle. Oh, there we go, it's a mm. beetle. So some experts thought, well, we can bring these toads in and they will eat this beetle and then our cane will be saved. And what happens is they hadn't really thought of that from like a system perspective. They've looked at that very linear. They're thinking beetle eating the cane, toad coming in, eating the beetle, problem solved, right? Problem with this is, is that we now have a cane toad problem because they grew and they ate lots of beetles and there's lots of them now. And they have created their own set of problems because we didn't look at it as a system. And so when you look at anything, you know, a lot of the problems that we deal with in the social sector are what we call wicked problems. They're problems that you can't necessarily just solve. They're things you can sometimes only make better or improve the circumstances of the people that are within them. So often looking at it as a system is really important because you need to understand if we do this over here, what impact does that have over here? And so when you learn about systems thinking, it really helps you unpack that. And Tracy talked a little bit before about one of the tools as part of systems thinking, which is around system mapping. And that's about, you know, let's say you're thinking about homelessness, right? We used that example before. You might put that in the middle of like a piece of paper and around that you're going to draw all the other providers and all the government departments that are doing bits and pieces and all the other services and all these different things that are impacting that problem and trying to solve that problem. And then when you start to map out all those different elements, you can start to see this is everything that is around that problem. If we're going to change this, what impact is that going to have on the entire system rather than just going out and doing that thing and having a cane tone problem? That's what we're talking about. So yeah, I think that's important too. I think evaluation is another really important thing that I'd recommend people to get good at in terms of innovation tools. It's not innovating as such, but we use developmental evaluation as one of our key tools that we do. And what that's about is it's about continuously just understanding what's the impact of what you've implemented and then I guess going back and tweaking what you have implemented to make sure it's continuously meeting the needs of the people that it's designed to serve. And so I think that's another really important one from my perspective that I'd, I'd recommend for people to, to learn about. I guess why it's important is because it's so easy to revert back to measuring widgets, you know. So instead of measuring the impact that you're actually having, you measure how many people you've given a meal to or you measure how many people have used, you know, accessed your web page. But it doesn't actually let you know whether or not that added value it just lets you know whether it was used. And if you're putting resources, you know, we all know in this sector, resources are so very valuable. You want to make sure that you're actually creating impact. So it's so important to make sure that you understand what does good look like? What would we be looking for? And then are our programs or are our services helping to get closer to that point? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Another one that I'm sort of thinking a bit about too is it's all very well having your mindset. So you're having the right way of thinking. You've now got some tools that you can use in your toolbox to help you become more of an innovator in the social space. But it's pretty hard to do it all by yourself, isn't it? You really need to get other people on board. So yeah, Trace, do you have some tips on how do people do that? Well, I guess it's finding people who are aligned and 
if you're a leader of an organisation, the best people to find who are aligned, who are working on the same things that you are, are people that you work with. Because there are going to be days where this social innovation caper is amazing and you're getting great results. And then there are going to be days where it feels like you're not having any traction. It feels like you're working really hard and you're not making the difference that you want to be able to be there to make. And that's where having a team of people around you who are aligned, who are all striving towards the same purpose can be so invaluable because you're actually talking about, you know, sharing the physical load, but also the emotional load. You know, there are different people who are going to be at different stages of motivation and enthusiasm at different times and you're going to be able to offer that support to each other, that encouragement with each other. But I think what's most important is you've got to make sure that you're all heading in the same direction because otherwise that sort of motivation and enthusiasm diluted in 10 different directions is never going to have the same impact. So it's about, I guess, everybody being aligned on why are we really here? What is it that we're here to do? What's the difference that we're out to make? And then actually, you know, getting everybody energised and excited about that journey towards that mission yeah i like that for us what we talk about at impacto is is about being mission focused as well which is all about making sure that the people in your organization are really focused on the mission that your organization serves and a lot of people have heard that word before and go oh yeah we've got one of those in our strategy like tick tick the box how most organizations do this is not what we're talking about What we're specifically talking about is having a mission that people are really, really brought into. It's where they're personally invested in achieving that mission. And a big part of that is making sure that there are the conditions there for them to need to innovate. So people don't put themselves out of their comfort zone for no reason. They want something. Innovation comes out of necessity. That's essentially how it works. So when you uh, leading an organization in this space, you might think, yeah, but we're doing some great stuff in this space. You know, everyone that comes here, they love working with those clients, et cetera. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to do innovative things because if they can achieve what they feel they need to achieve to do a good job by managing the status quo, they'll continue to manage the status quo. There's no reason to put yourself out of your comfort zone. So another really big part of that is when you've got these people on board, align them around the mission. So what are we really trying to do? But also go, what are we trying to achieve specifically as part of that? And I think what you come up with there needs to be something that you're all aligned on, but it's something that is ambitious compared to the status quo. We want to solve this. You know, let's draw a line in the sand. By this year, whatever it is, by the end of this year or in two years' time, we're going to solve this problem for these people. And by having that sort of a goal, that's when you start getting those innovative type. You get that need for innovation. Someone goes, ah, okay, I get it. Yeah, we're not going to be able to do that if we just keep doing what we're doing. If we want to like solve this particular problem for the people that we care about, we need to do something different. And I think that's a really core part of once you get that tribe is get them aligned with that. It's way more exciting as well for people to be able to do something that really speaks to their their own individual purpose because when you've got that really strong mission and everybody's focused on it, you'll find that you will attract the right people into your organisation who are also really personally aligned with what it is that you're out to achieve and it means then that everybody has that thing that, that's bigger than themselves that encourages you to get out of bed in those, you know, cold winter's mornings and, you know, forces you out of the house and to work hard and to really strive. Yeah, I think that's the thing too, hey, like we kind of learned this through the work we do in this sector, but I think I originally learned the lesson when I was working in like the call centre space is that when you have a bunch of staff, they might join the organisation because they're excited about helping the client and all of that, but you did have to remind them because it was so repetitive what they did. And sometimes 
they came in in their first couple of weeks, they're like, yeah, 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 I'm doing this and I'm trying my best and I'm doing all these things to put myself out of my comfort zone, like build rapport with all my customers, et cetera, et cetera. But then after about, you know, maybe a few months, they just became Groundhog Day and they really forgot what the mission was, like what they were trying to do. And so when we saw that being done well, it was people who were able to really constantly weaving in that mission and what we're trying to achieve and the benefits it's going to have and what it means for them and what it means for their customers and all those sorts of things. And then we've seen that in this space too, where, you know, you can be a carer, but again, it can, any task can become Groundhog Day. So it's really about how do you continuously weave those messages about your mission into the conversations you're having with your people so that they're always engaged and they're always, I guess, focused on achieving that. And it's like Tracy said, it's exciting too, because once you actually start getting some runs on the board, you see real progress and people love that. It's all about purpose, I think. And we're moving more and more towards that as a society as well. It's becoming more and more important. You know, just earning money is not the be on end or for most people now. So yeah, that's really cool. Anything else to add on that one? No, that's that's it for me. All right, so there you have it. So we've given you a little bit about us and we've also shared a couple of different things that you can do to become even more innovative in the social sector. Just to recap what they were, the first thing was around changing your mindset. So how do you change your mindset so that you're thinking not just about what you want to achieve but also the people outside of your organization being your clients and all of your different stakeholders and really making that decision to be able to go out there and do things differently but do things that are going to be valuable from their perspective not just yours it's actually about all of those perspectives and then secondary we talked about some of the different methodologies and tools how do you upskill yourself and the people within your team so that they have the know-how to change things and innovate and finally we talked about What's the reason to innovate? How do you become mission focused? How do you get your people and yourself really focused on those ambitious goals that you need to achieve for your clients and your people? So yeah, thanks for listening along. We really enjoyed uh, chatting to you about this and cheers. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.